1: The Athletic.
2: This is the Athletic Football Tactics Podcast World Cup Final Recap Episode. I'm Ali Maxwell, and it's an absolute pleasure to be with you today to chat about the World Cup Final that took place yesterday between Argentina and France. Argentina winning. 4-2 on penalties after a 3-all draw after extra time. One of, surely, the greatest games in the history of the world's greatest sport. So, a a delight to be chatting through it with three tactical titans. Mark Carey is here. Buenos dias, Mark. Buenos dias, Ali. Como estas? Gosh, that would have been a good party, wouldn't it? (laughs) In BA. I've just watched some incredible drone footage. 20 million people on one very long street having a hell of a time um our cox is here as well hi michael how are you hi ali uh very well really enjoyed that final and uh,
1: i think we've got more than enough to to speak about today
2: absolutely to finish off the triumvirate let me see that thumb <laughs> that thumb for thumb 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 hi liam hello ali thank you for that ah oh, drunk oh. on football and maybe with my first question fueled by recency bias. Uh, Michael, was that the greatest World Cup final of all time? Can I just ask, does Liam understand that reference? He might be too young to remember that. I think so, yeah. But
3: um, no, I feel quite serenaded actually by Ali, Ali this morning. So That's What a
2: way to start the day. <laughs> well, we'll let you finish blushing. Michael, greatest World Cup final of all time?
1: Um, I don't know. Certainly the, the greatest of my lifetime. I mean, there's a couple of good ones in the 80s. Brazil in nineteen seventies, obviously spoken about a lot. Whether that was a great game or a great team performances is, is up for debate. Fifty eight as well, just from the highlights was good. But yeah, I mean, certainly the best that I've seen. You don't really get World Cup finals like that. I mean, even the one four years ago, there were six goals, but I think the total XG was something like one point five. It was a bit of a, a mad scoreline, really, mm. and not many chances. But this was fantastic. I mean, it was it was a funny game because I must admit for the. Most of the second half I was kinda of thinking, Well this is this is game over. The France's got no chance of coming back here and obviously turned in the space of a minute with two Mbappe goals. And the the final ten minutes of normal time and then the half hour of extra time were brilliant. I mean that is as good as football gets. So yeah, I think people tend to remember the you know, how it ended and it ended in tremendous fashion.
2: It was a great final, Liam, for for exactly what Michael's touched on there. You've probably watched all 64 games at this tournament, you've previewed them better than anyone on the planet, Um, you have poured over every aspect of all games, and yet still, the final will remind you constantly that just when you think you know what has happened and what will happen next, it flips on its head. Yeah, it was uh,
3: quite a nice reminder that football is incredibly unpredictable. I think this is the real beauty of such a low scoring sport that things can happen like this. Um, it felt slightly typical of France in what they'd done in major tournaments. They, they did it in the Nations League last summer. they have done it at the Euros previously of... Not play too well and then come alive in moments, mm. often when they're losing in games. And again, we'd you know, seen Argentina collapse already this tournament and then to, to do it again on such a big stage and then look like they've come back from it. Um, Yeah, it was. I was genuinely emotionally exhausted by the end of the game, I think. For as someone who didn't have any sort of emotional um,
2: attachment either way, I didn't feel that way at the end of the game. I was definitely massively engaged. Unbelievable final, which I think can be broadly divided into for ages, if you like, and I think it's quite a helpful way of looking at it for the next half an hour or so. Um, start with the the Argentinian age, the first 70 minutes or so in which Scaloni's side were dominant and comfortable and two goals to the good. Then the French era, the last 20 minutes, I guess, of normal time in which Mbappe scores twice in, in two minutes. France draw level and Argentina for a period look all at sea, look gone at the game. Then... I'll call it the the Bedlam age, uh, the extra time period that was... Well, it, it didn't follow the rules of, of normally quite dull, unambitious extra time periods and was all the better for it. 12 shots in total, another Messi goal, another Mbappe goal uh, and at least one other big chance each. Uh, and then the the final age, the shootout uh, in which Argentina won 4-2 on penalties. Coma and Chameni unsuccessful f- from the spot for France and, and everyone else scored. So let's go through it bit by bit basically so that we don't miss a single morsel uh, of this feast of a final. Let's start with the tactics, with Argentina's setup. You guys called it perfectly on the preview. Di Maria in for Paredes, despite Di Maria not having started a single knockout game up to that point. Michael, what do you think was Scaloni's reason for Di Maria's selection? He he certainly seemed very involved right from the off.
1: Yeah, I expected him to come in because I think he's a really... Useful player. He's technically brilliant and hard-working but I expect him to play down the right. I mean, that's where he's generally played uh, earlier in this tournament. It's also where he played for last year's Copper America final, where he scored the winner, kind of running in behind and playing a, a lovely little lob over Allison's head. But it was completely different. He started on the left. He was like an old school, you know, really wide, hugging the touchline player. And I, I was just surprised by that because. I mean, Jules Kounde at right back. I don't think there's been any games this tournament where he's looked particularly nervous or defensively vulnerable. Whereas on the other side, I think Teo Hernandez definitely has. And there's also the the defensive side of things. I mean, Di Maria is a very hard working player, and Teo Hernandez I think probably been the most prominent attacking fullback in this competition. So I expected him to be there to block out that flank. But actually, it was a really it was a massive gamble because there were quite a few times where Hernandez and Mbappe had two against ones in the first twenty twenty five minutes and. Argentina were content to allow that to happen in the confidence Messi would would find space in behind. And then, of course, you have on the other side, Di Maria is the star player, absolutely the key player of the game, constantly beats Kunde, who was kind of having to look after McAllister as well. So it was, I mean, a surprise move, and you have to say, really, a very bold move from Scaloni. His most attacking approach of the tournament so far uh, by a distance. But it it was a, a major part of what created such a good game.
4: I think as well, just put evidence to it, we saw it with our eyes just how much De Maria was involved in the early stages, but he was just a constant target throughout. And I, I looked in, in the opening 30 minutes, just how much he was a target for passes. So his 16 passes received in the opening half an hour was the most of any player on the pitch outside of Christian Romero and Nicola Otamendi, which you would expect to sort of see with uh, center backs building up the play. I also looked at in the first half um, just how much they were attacking down each third, which you know I've often uh, presented on here before. And forty-three percent of the attacking touches were down the left side of the pitch in the first half, which was the highest of the tournament in the in the first half for Argentina. So it just shows how much it was clearly um, by design, um, and it it provided Argentina with the width that we have spoken about before that they were quite lacking across the tournament. It was sometimes their undoing in the sort of the early stages of the tournament. So it really. Stretched the France uh, defensive line and, and provided Argentina with that, that width that they really needed. And the third part of that is that it kept the ball on the other side of the pitch from Mbappe. And I know that Michael said that they did get in a couple of times, but it really kept things on the opposite side, which is another way to stop the threat from Mbappe, starve him from possession at all.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. It's easier to play a pass to Mbappe in transition down the line than it is a large switch cross field ball uh, where you to win it back and Mbappe be streaking into space. Uh, it's, it certainly was the most interesting tactical aspect of, of the first half. Um, Liam, do you think there could have been an extent to which they'd looked at Koundé and and due to his you know natural position being at centre-back, maybe he just naturally was defending a little narrower than your normal full-backs and it was just such an... Uh, every time they got the ball for about a 15-minute period, it was touch and then just ping out right onto the touchline as well an amazing ploy really and a a successful one clearly if you look at the first goal yeah john miller did a great piece on
3: this uh, and he actually broke down i think it was messi's passes in the first hour where de marie is on the pitch um and he john had also done a piece earlier on this tournament looking at how Messi, when he does come in from the right likes to play those threaded passes um out wide and constantly as you say getting those 1v1s happened in the build up to the penalty dembele with i just think some quite silly defending really he's gonna have to come inside there because he's lost the angle to cross as a left footer but I think the one thing you don't then do uh, as a defender if you've been beaten like that is go and put contact um, on an attacker, especially not on the wrong side of them. It looks soft, I agree, but I think you've given the referee a, a big decision to make um, and that repeatedly kept happening. I'm sure we'll touch on the subs, but I think it was notable that even after France made this couple of changes, the very first Argentina attack, I think it was following that, it was kind of the same pattern, quickly at wide to Di Maria. Um, so they really, really struggled to stop it. And I think really they only benefited from when he got taken off rather than like him you know, slowing down in the game or fatiguing and this is another final you can add it to uh, as Michael mentioned the Copa America final but he's done it in the Copa del Rey uh, he's been man of the match in Champions League finals as well so this is a real big game player.
2: Mm. That, that made it Michael four different lineups in four knockout games for Argentina for Scaloni and Papu Gomez started in a four three three broadly against Australia he came out for Lissandro Martinez ahead of the Netherlands game went back to a three at the back then Lissandro came out for Paredes for the Croatia game and they had that that nice narrow packed box midfield and then Paredes came out for Di Maria for this game you know within that you've got Acuna losing his left back spot to Taliafico. that was down to suspension um, so that's kind of largely trivial one tactical change for each match that that's pretty fun isn't it an, an active tactician like that who can look back at certainly the last three knockout games, the Australia game is a difficult one to to measure because they were always going to be mostly dominant there. And you could say won the tactical battle, the initial tactical battle at 0-0, whenever he needed to. And I think for that, particularly on this pod of all pods, we need to say that Scaloni has to be one of the stars of the tournament.
1: Yeah, he did really well. And, um, you know, like I say, I think the final was a bit of an exception. I think beforehand he'd always looked... You know, where was the opposition's strength? Let's really guard against that. So there was, you know, a switch to five against the Netherlands so the wing-backs didn't overload them. Against Croatia, they really packed the centre of midfield because that's where Croatia's good players are. But yeah, this was the opposite. He wasn't looking to, to nullify Mbappe and, and Hernandez. It was an attacking move, really. And went for Kunde on the opposite side with Di Maria's attacking qualities. So it was a big surprise. And like you say, at the start of games, they've been excellent. I think Liam had some stats saying how good they've been in the first half of games. The slight issue is it hasn't always gone well later on in games. They lost a two-goal lead in the final. They lost a two-goal lead against the Netherlands. They were a little bit lucky not to lose a two-goal lead against Australia. And of course, Saudi Arabia, they... They were one nil up and lost two one. I actually don't think they did that much wrong in that game, but yeah, it seemed to be the more the games went on, the
2: more Argentina wobbled a bit. But certainly, his starting approaches were very successful. Oh, dangerous lead, isn't it? Two nil. Dangerous lead. <laughs> um, the two 0 goal was a was a beauty. Who wants to Who wants to talk me through that, Liam? Absolutely. I think again to touch on
3: something that John had done in one of his pieces and looking at how Messi baits defenders. And um, I think it was ten or eleven seconds. There's sort of five or six players involved, but. There's about seven or eight touches combined. Um, the swiftness of it is, I think, fantastic. We'd spoken about uh, Argentina scoring goals just going through the middle um, of Croatia and, and- that maybe being more down to sort of bad defending and you know how you deal with offside traps but again I think it's not a surprise you see a repeat pattern of defenders struggling to know when to go with Messi when to stay off and then as someone who's watched this is McAllister's journey from when he joined Brighton as a number 10 to becoming deeper to what I guess the Argentines would called a number five to see him then making that sort of number 10 run as a third man running beyond the ball and um, Alvarez high and wide on the right and Di Maria high and wide on the left I think it was quite clear that the plan was to have width to stretch them um, and then to get those those runners going as you you say and as Michael said I don't think Koundé seemed to have any sort of significant weaknesses but um, clearly very targeted and and I think a really lovely finish from Di Maria as well really good composure I'm not sure whether it bubbles or whether he intends to sort of chip it and kick it into the ground but yeah a really really good uh, level of composure from him
2: yeah what do you make of that finish in particular Michael I see it as the Meza Ozil it felt like he really popularized that sort of bouncing it initially into the ground and just lifting it over the legs of a goalkeeper, uh, often when in, in those sort of tight one, 1v1 situations. It strikes me that if Di Maria had tried to lift it sort of naturally rather than bouncing it into the ground first, there is a real risk that you just, the trajectory lifts it over the bar at that point, depending on how powerfully you hit it and how, how cleanly you strike the ball. It, it felt to me, if it is deliberate, like an incredibly high quality piece of skill.
1: Yeah, I'm never sure about these. I must say, I know Ozil really had a thing for it and it was obvious he was attempting it by the end. I must say, I think 10 years ago, if we see that finish, we think he's just scuffed a bit (laughs) into the ground. Maybe it is deliberate. I I honestly don't know. If it was deliberate, it's great. And I think just the timing tends to catch out the goalkeeper as well because he's generally going over and it goes over him. If he tried it, it's a brilliant finish. But I'm really pleased with Di Maria. I mean, I wrote a a big piece after he scored the, um, the winner in the Copa America final last year and said... You know, not only has this guy been performing at a really high level over the last 15 years, he's always had a job in the team where he's doing the running for others. You know, because he's played with Messi at international level, Cristiano Ronaldo for Real Madrid, Neymar and Mbappe, and then eventually Messi at PSG. And he's never been given, you know, he's never been like an Iron Robin figure, even though I think he's got that level of ability. He's always been kind of a cross between a wing and a box to box midfielder. And in the few occasions where he's just allowed to play like an out and out winger, like here, like in the 2014 Champions League final. He's just devastatingly effective. And it's quite rare these days that you see, you know, a left-footed player playing on the left, generally going down the outside and, and causing full problems like that. It was just, it was such a good performance. And presumably his last for Argentina. And I think now he'll he'll probably be remembered or should be remembered as, a, uh, I mean, one of the games are all great. So I think he's a fantastic footballer.
2: Transfer tells me that they played 118 matches together, Di Maria and Urzel, over a three-year period. So I'm saying it was something <laughs> that Great in research. particular they had worked on. Quite a lot of theories as to why France looked so poor for at least an hour of this game. It's difficult always to weigh them all up and to work out which ones are, are more strongly weighted. I'll go to Mark first because um, you certainly mentioned something that I hadn't seen brought up on Twitter, shall we say, a potential benefit uh, in terms of scheduling for Argentina.
4: Yeah, I mean, we can talk about all the, the on-field stuff, which I'm sure the, the other guys will talk about, but I just think playing the latter semi-final could have just been a subtle, only a subtle disadvantage here, because obviously they had one less day of recovery, which I do think counts for a lot in terms of just how exhausting a, an international tournament is with such little turnaround. and. I read a study, it was a 2019 study from FIFA Pro, and they said that players need at least 120 hours, so five days roughly between games, to perform at their their best level and to manage injury risk. And that's more across the course of a a whole season and injury risk being across a wider sample. This is a maximum of seven games. But I do still think that does count for a lot. And yeah, I realise that not every country had that over the course of a tournament, but yeah, Argentina did. And I, I also think that it gives them an extra opportunity to prepare for that game tactically we've spoken about how Scaloni was intelligent with his tactics and he had a really clear game plan that France couldn't deal with ultimately a lot for especially for the you know the first hour or so and it may well have still played out tactically had Deschamps had that same sort of time as Scaloni but I just think those subtle things at the highest level count for a lot so um yeah the extra day I think was a, was a subtle advantage to, to Argentina
2: there was plenty in the build-up michael uh, about a potential illness running through the camp of course upper meccano and rabio had, had missed the semi-final with a respiratory type illness and they were both back and straight in here somewhat surprising after uh, upper meccano's performance against england versus canates in the in the semi-final that was something that we didn't call correctly on the last pod what are your france being quite so poor theories well
1: i think this is the problem with france they don't play well in terms of flow of the game they don't dominate games i mean they're on the back foot for long periods against england more surprisingly they're on the back foot for long periods against morocco and if you don't just have those two or three moments in a half where things go well you look like you're completely out of sorts i mean griezmann who i think was maybe the best player in the tournament coming into this game i thought was really poor in the first half in particular i think you do have to give them some credit for the way that they turned it around i know it was a bit of a out of nowhere two minute thing but Deschamps was bold I mean two subs before half time, ended up with almost a all-new front four on only Mbappe survived from that so yeah I don't really know why they're quite so bad but at least they at least they made stuff happen in the second half at one point I really thought they were just gonna accept their fate and settle for a 2-0 defeat because they're playing so badly so yeah credit to them for making a game of it
2: Liam, a, a tactical double sub after 40 minutes of a World Cup final—that's like Nirvana for you lot, isn't it? You tactics lot. Um, what did Deschamps change? What, what What would he have been thinking there?
3: Yeah, as soon as whilst we were watching the game in the office, that it was either going to end up being a, a complete disaster class from Deschamps in terms of the subs, or if they pulled it back, then he'd be, you know, considered a, a great sort of tactical thinker and just a genius really for it. So. I mean, the issue looked like sort of dealing with Dembele's um, defensive problems and not being able to, you know, keep quiet against Di Maria um, on that side. But I was intrigued by the the sub because it reminded me a bit of the Netherlands-Argentina game as well when the Netherlands brought on, sort of the reverse, brought on two big number nines rather than taking one off. And it was really good in terms of it gave them more, I think, probably more of an athletic number nine or sort of a more athletic forward and they're better players to sort of stretch the defense and, and to be runners I guess having more dynamic players around Mbappe would help in that regard um, I thought it was quite telling that he was the only one that, that stayed on in terms of um, you know that's that's done a lot of pressure and he ended up really I think carrying that attack not just with the goals but um, just with this sort of all-round play but then the issue I think came later on in the game when they did equalize and in extra time when you then go Do you know who would be really good in this sort of game where you need to control it and have some organisation is an Olivier Giroud type figure where you can play into him, he's got the hold-up play. And ironically, I think if Deschamps could have made another sub and brought someone on, obviously he can't bring Giroud back on. But that's the sort
4: of player I think they needed on the pitch really to sort of finish the game with. I was helping for for the live piece for the Athletic during the game and I was asked to say, well, keep a close eye on would the substitutions have made a difference, you know, by the end of the game? And... The short answer was that initially that certainly wasn't the case. They still didn't register a shot until I think the 68th minute and it, Colin Wani came on and did offer some some energy. He was kind of getting the Argentina players running towards their own goal a little bit more, which was good and that was eventually how the, the goal came about via the penalty. But you know, if it hadn't have been for those sort of small moments, which I think was a representation of how France were specific moments in time, and Taram getting the assist as well, then I don't think that they would have really had that much of a an impact. They didn't change the flow of the game all that much, shall we say? It was just that they had the odd individual contribution. So, yeah, hindsight is a, is a wonderful <laughs> thing.
2: So uh, France got it back to two all quite a long time after the double substitution. So we won't attribute too much of their comeback to Deschamps' changes, Michael. So what happened here? It was more or less out of nowhere. It, it did have the feeling of a game that was going to peter out into a 2-0 win. I think there are quite a lot of people who were trying to delete some tweets after the uh, two-minute double from Mbappe. How did it all come about?
1: Yeah, never tr- uh, tweet during games, I think, is a, a good advice for any so up-and-coming Just, and coming just watch the game, probably. Ah, absolutely. Novel. Novel. Um, Again, I think Scaloni kind of did the opposite of what he's done previously in this tournament. Against Australia, for example, he went to back five very, very early. I think 55 minutes in. And maybe they invited too much pressure and were a bit too defensive in that game. And maybe he was trying to learn from that because I did think it made sense to go for a back five here at some point. Because France basically were using a front four. And I thought Argentina's defenders were a bit overloaded, really. I mean, we saw with the mistake Otamendi made for the penalty. If you have a spare man at the back, maybe that doesn't happen. And even, I mean, the brilliant second goal by Mbappe. It did kind of hammer home, like, you just needed to beat one Argentina defender and you're in because it was four against four. So I thought I thought maybe they would bring on um, Martinez, who is obviously a very good centre-back, but they didn't. And maybe he was a bit wary of of being too defensive again.
2: Yes, Scaloni only made one sub before the 90th minute, and that was the much-discussed Di Maria off Acuna on sub around the 60-minute mark, which may have been pre-planned based on on Di Maria's conditioning. Um, We don't know that, but that would seem like an obvious suggestion. Do you think Otamendi should have been sent off for the concession of that penalty? My understanding of the laws of the game is that having removed the old double jeopardy red card plus penalty for... Honest fouls, where you are making an attempt to play the ball with your feet, the tug back is still a red card and a penalty. And the referee made a very clear motion to the protesting Argentina players that this has been given for Otamendi pulling back the attacker when he's one v one. I, I was a little confused as to why that. I don't think there was even a yellow card for it.
1: No, there wasn't. I must admit, I didn't even consider that. I'd have to watch it again. Was he going directly towards goal? Was he going? Yeah. It was, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, I, maybe. I hadn't
2: really thought there about you it. Go. I also didn't celebrate Argentina's three two goal because I decided that there was an offside in the build-up and I didn't want to get done so by done by VAR. Really? So that's a huge regret. That's a huge regret. Um what else do we need to touch on here? I mean the the two all goal was an electric play from Mbappe and, and Chiram as well, whose whose dink over the top was, you know, very swiftly and accurately executed for Mbappe. Did you, Liam, think that France would would go on and win this game from that point?
3: Uh, it was easy to get swept up I think in, in the emotion of it um, and as we've said they've turned it on in games like that before. I th- I think when it got to that point and it was level you thought this could go absolutely any way. Um, it obviously then gave them the onus to keep pushing forward and attacking and that's why we probably saw the game open up so much. I think just a word for Turam I and how good he's been off the bench this tournament. Um, he came off the bench against uh, Morocco and was good I think and it helped shore up the game maybe a bit more defensively but um, they spoke about also, the impact of having that good sort of left winger who's a right footer that can come inside, similar to Mbappe, but also for stuff defensively. It means Mbappe can do a bit more centrally. Um, we know how much of a threat he is in that sort of left half space, uh, just off centre. Um, but yeah, the, the goal is phenomenal. And a, a player that young to um, already have, I think, the most World Cup final goals ever. He's right up there in the scoring charts now. Um, yeah, seeing him get the, the golden boot um, yesterday as well. So like he's, he's just racking up these awards and performing. And... That was without Giroud, without Griezmann on the pitch. Um, Benzema obviously not not ending up making the tournament. There's a lot of talk about sort of France now trying to integrate a next generation, but um, they've probably got one of if not the best players in the world currently. You know, you're always uh, in a position; it's always possible to have a comeback like that when you've got someone who is as good as him.
2: Yeah, not a, not a huge amount of concern for for France's uh, talent pipeline. I think it's fair to say at this point. I'm sure many was. Pretty remarkable in this tournament for, for his age. Kamavinga coming off the bench to play left-back in extra time was quite fun. Uh, let's talk about the extended period. Michael, four of the last five World Cup finals have gone to extra time. This one, perhaps the most exciting for the neutral. Both teams with genuine intent to win the game was was quite refreshing. At this stage, what were the sort of broad tactical setups and, and were they having an impact or is this just pure adrenaline and vibes? I must say, I thought the game kind of spiralled out
1: of control. I mean, in a good way for us as <laughs> as viewers. But, you know, this is the first time we've had five subs in a World Cup. And a lot of people have argued against it because they say it gives the manager too much control. But I increasingly think the opposite. I think the more players that come on, the less managers really can keep track of what's happening. The more players have got fresh legs. You have more battles between a player who's, you know, completely fresh and someone who's played seven games in the space of a month and is absolutely exhausted i think rafael Varane was the most obvious example of that he basically collapsed at the end there didn't he and france actually brought on seven subs because i didn't realize at the time that the rabio going off was a concussion substitute so you've got 13 out of the 20 outfielders a replacement it's almost a completely different sport now it's, it's kind of like an nfl game isn't it they just bring on so many players so often And I think that's probably what, I mean, it's certainly what kept the the tempo of the game very high, because I think if you have three subs and and all the players are exhausted, it kind of winds down into nothing. But it reminded me a little bit of um, the Man City-Real Madrid Champions League game in March or April, wherever that was, where at the end there were so many new players on the pitch, it was just chaos. And I think, yeah, I think that happened again here.
4: I mean, in terms of goals as well, it was the only game other than the Croatia-Brazil game that we actually saw goals in extra time, which is just refreshing to see. I know that they had to kind of go for it. There was so much on the line. But normally you see teams kind of playing it out and just accepting that penalties are just going to going to occur. But it was just so, so transitional. I can't even remember whether it was normal time or extra time. I think it was, yeah, it was extra time with that martinez save from Colin Muani, and then Lataro Martinez going at the other end and an awful finish with his head and I think as a general point I think his finishing throughout the whole of this tournament has been awful and it just sort of summarised his tournament within those final few minutes but um, the game was just you know as Michael said so transitional so back and forth like a basketball game uh, at times but as a neutral my heart was absolutely racing which I'm happy about
1: I mean it's a very rare game where you get to the end of extra time. And, I mean, everyone wanted more, right? If they suggested playing another half hour of extra time, why not, really? I mean, I'm, I'm being semi-serious. Obviously, you couldn't do it for any other game. But in the final, I mean, why not just keep on playing? Give, give them another seven subs and get everyone on. It's uh, I, I was actually quite gutted that it went to penalties because it was such a good game and I didn't want someone to be the villain. I get quite into this, like, in terms of who the... Who the misses are going to be. And I decided I was quite content with the two that missed because Kaman has had a great moment in his career winning the Champions League final 2020. And Chu is a little bit like Saka last year. He's so young and he'll get better and his career won't be defined by it. But I mean, if it had been certain other players, I, I would have felt really gutted at the end. I do
2: think for the neutral France losing is made easier by the fact that they won it four years ago Uh, and even individuals like Mbappe having no qualms that he will have at least two probably three or four more tournaments to break goal scoring records and quite possibly win another one of these Um, for Kingsley Coman who I think is the streak still going I think has won a league title in every single season of his professional career you know broadly these aren't the sort of guys that the neutrals are going to be shedding too many tears for um maybe next time because I, I sort of think that the world cup final it is a shame to get decided by a, a penalty shootout just sort of on a on a sporting sense i like your idea of having a sort of It's a bit like the split or steal from the UK game show Golden Balls. You could you could you could offer them an extra half an hour, and it would only take place if they both wanted it to, which generally would not be the case. And maybe Liam could suggest that they're allowed to bring Giroud back on. France could bring Giroud back on if they need him. Maybe Argentina could have Di Maria back on. Just you know, just trying to change the face of the whole sport here. It was Liam. I mean, it it was it was pretty chaotic. My memory of extra time was. Realising that France were basically playing 4-2-4 with Camavinga at left back. And Argentina, you know, and, that, and it's pretty hard to have any sort of control at that point. It did feel like overall, with the adrenaline of France's comeback having worn off a little bit, we did sort of get back into the, the rhythm from the first half of Argentina, mostly controlling things, I felt.
3: Yeah, and then I think it spiralled out again by the end of it, where Emi mean, Martinez comes up with what is probably one of the biggest saves any goalkeeper will ever make. Um, phenomenally good. It's something we broke down in a piece um, that's up on site now. And there's a player who I don't really think we've discussed much yet and has been really big for him this tournament. Um, we spoke about them, them collapsing in games. Obviously, Michael said they nearly did against Australia. He made a really big save from Garan Kuo, again in, the, in injury time in the second half there. So I, I don't think he actually made a, a whole ton of saves. I think he's only made about seven or eight in the whole tournament. But... Principle most of them have been really big saves. He's done a lot in terms of um, commanding his box. Um, obviously, we'll touch on shortly how good he was in the shootout. But I think having those ingredients uh, and those different sort of players that will come up big for you in big moments has really been the key um, for Argentina and their success. It was the same last summer at the Copa America. Um, and you sort of compare that to France now. Um, we, we saw the sort of Messi v Mbappe in terms of both coming up in really big moments. And that, for me, is what made the final so special, was sort of one of them, you know, Messi sort of, making the first, landing the first blow, and then just it going back and forth and they just kept both popping up. Um, and then you can maybe compare Larissa to Martinez and when one goalkeeper comes out on top, it feels like that sort of
0: decides the game. Um, and it's those big players in the big moments. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service
2: any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
2: As we have spoken about many times, the analysis of penalty shootouts is fraught with issues of bias uh, both recency and outcome based so this is this is your chance guys to basically chuck your penalty shootout takes in here it's an amnesty you can say what you like Uh, i won't push back on it just let me know what you thought about the penalty shootout mark will come
4: to you first well, I, for one, am very happy with the best players taking the first penalties, um, <laughs> yes. as they should do, as we spoke about first before. First or fourth, on this, baby, first uh, or fourth. First or fourth, <laughs> yes. And for those who don't know that, then go back, I think, two episodes uh, for the numbers on that. I thought the Dybala penalty was good, but maybe not the best. I thought it got a little bit lucky going down the middle, and it was one of those where I just thought, if he had have missed, would it have been you know another example of you know berating a manager's decision to bring on a player in the final couple of minutes I don't know whether he got a kick Um, I can't remember now in the final couple of minutes before taking a penalty obviously we saw it with the England controversy in the Euros that was my only other sort of overriding thought before we then get into probably the Martinez versus Lloris but yeah he he scored the goal and obviously it doesn't matter now but I just thought if, if he had have missed would there have been a bit of controversy around the decision to bring him on especially for that penalty
3: I personally enjoyed seeing Mbappé go the same way as he did with his two penalties that were um, mm. in the, well not regulation time, but including extra time. Um, there was a graphic, I think this came up before he took his first penalty in the game. And um, I think he'd taken four penalties for France and he'd gone in either top corner and in the bottom right corner as well. And I thought that that was such a good reflection of one, how good he is and two, just his composure to say... I'm going to vary whether I go either top corner, um, like you know, I'm going to score in every different part of the goal. You know, often we see with the best penalty takers. I think Kane's a great example that they have a routine, a set way of going. I'm going to repeatedly take this pen. I might make some variations from it, but generally, I'm going to hit this spot in this way.
2: Martinez did get a hand on two of the three Mbappe penalties, didn't he? Got contact on. Yeah, them anyway. and then
3: yeah, yeah, and I think that's then the impact of knowing how good a penalty-saving goalkeeper you're coming up against. And to say, I I imagine a lot of players will think, I want to maybe put the keeper the wrong way or make a penalty that he's not even going to get near. But to do one and say, OK, he might touch it, but I'm going to hit it with one, enough power and two, enough placement that even if there is contact, he's not going to actually be able to keep it out. And I just thought that was was fantastic to see.
1: I quite like the fact the winning penalty was scored by Montiel, who's a bit of a unknown in the grand scheme of things maybe a little bit like fabio grosso in 2006 it's kind of the thing he'll always be known for it was also nice as well because he was the one who conceded um the late equalizer uh, the penalty for the late equalizer which i thought was a really harsh decision did you not think that was a bit harsh a handball i just i just don't know what he, what more he can do to get his hand out of the way i am i must admit i basically never think any handball is penalty i basically think you should have to be you know, playing a volleyball shot to concede a penalty like that. But I mean, it's funny that in another, in another world that could be the talking point of, a, of the game. And it's probably not in the top 15 talking points <laughs> of this game because so much happened. So yeah, I thought that was quite nice. I quite liked his celebration as well. I can't remember a final where so many people, you know, so many neutrals wanted one side <laughs> to win.
2: So I feel like most people are happy with Did this. Did you like his celebration? Is that as in pulling a shirt over his face and crying?
1: Yeah, well, because I thought at first I was a bit annoyed. I was like, "Why are you taking your shirt off uh, unnecessarily?" But then he he was kind of just, you know, covering himself up as he as he
2: balled his eyes out. I thought it was I thought it was quite well. Good. We'll never know who was saving themselves for the hero slot, fifth penalty. I like to think for France it was number three Disassi who came on just before them. <laughs> you know, ostensibly and as the commentators would have said, he will have been brought on for you know he'd been taking some good penalties in training. Uh, never got a chance to see it. I love the idea of Lautaro stepping up with the fifth pen with everything on the line. That really could have been something. Um, alas, not this time. Um, Lionel Messi wins his first World Cup title at one of football's greatest ever moments on an individual level. Uh, 16 years after making his international debut, he won the Copper America for the first time at the sixth time of asking and then 17 years after his international debut he wins the world cup at the fifth time of asking for the first time and retires with 98 international goals 13 in world cups Uh, what an honor it was to to watch michael how about his penalty in the shootout he sort of changed his technique to become even more of a baller as the kids might say slowing it down sitting lorries down and just rolling it
1: yeah, that was astonishingly cool. And, you know, Messi's obviously a player who the only thing he ever gets criticised for is his penalty record isn't particularly great. I think it's only 1% lower than the average. But for for Messi, anything lower than the average is obviously pretty bad by his standards. But yeah, two brilliant penalties here. I, I, I must say, I know some people don't like the kind of wait for the goalkeeper to move thing. I think it's the, one of the coolest things in football. I just can't imagine having the, the nerve to do that on that stage, knowing that if you get it wrong, you'll, you'll kind of be mocked forever for it. I mean, it's so cool. And yeah, particularly the one in the shootout was just so, so calm.
4: Exactly. The composure was was ridiculous. And all the credit should go to to Messi for all the reasons that you guys have just spoken about. That's where my qualm comes with. Should Lloris have... We spoke about Martinez, and it was a great piece, by the way, Liam, your, your piece that's out about Martinez's goalkeeping ability but also how he has that ability to get in people's heads um, especially in a penalty shootout and not even the the psychological warfare that Lloris maybe should have tried to get into Messi and all the players heads during the shootout but I think even just the physical ability to kind of get into the the players head where the whole point is that Messi and a lot of these players like a Jorginho or Bruno Fernandes wait for the keeper and he had one go at it having just conceded during the actual game Would there have been something where Lloris should have shimmied maybe to go one way, knowing that Messi's going to try and go the other way, only to then shimmy back and actually try and go the way that Messi was going the opposite way, if that makes sense. To just try and double bluff and second guess Messi to at least instill some sort of panic into Messi during the penalty shootout of a World Cup final. And it just felt like he sort of accepted his fate a little bit too much. And that was yeah, where my grievance came.
2: Does not have a very good penalty-saving record, does he, in, in these uh, major international tournaments, Lloris, uh and didn't get particularly near any of those. Liam, I- I'm interested to, to know from your perspective uh, on the, the Messi question, in that he's been the most impactful sports person for me in my lifetime, but I can still remember football before Messi. He probably started playing and scoring when I was 11 or 12 and the football obsession was already entrenched so I still remember life before Messi of course since he started him and and Cristiano Ronaldo won x amount of Ballon d'Ors in a row or Ballon d'Or in a row and um, and and I guess for you being that much that bit younger than Michael and myself I can't speak for Mark you you might have basically started talking around the time that Messi started scoring goals for Barcelona. So you have not known anything else but Messi? No, um, there's
3: nothing really else I can add to that. So it's been quite a privilege to, I guess, as I've grown, watch him develop. Not that we've gone alongside each other. That makes it sound like I'm saying we're going in tandem. But um it's just a nice romantic end, right, to see. I don't really do, as I'm sure Mark and Michael don't, sort of these debates about who's the best or sort of the greatest. I think that people are entitled to their opinions. I'm not, not really too fast to whoever people want to argue as being um, excellent. But for a player to be, I think, you know, so impactful and um, to be such a central player um, and to go through as well, having obviously missed penalties, uh, Copa America final springs to mind where, you know, you put one over the bar um, having not necessarily turned up, quote-unquote. I think, was it before this this World Cup, he hadn't scored a World Cup knockout goal? And that's the same for Ronaldo, despite those two obviously being argued as um, you know two of the the very greatest ever in this sport. So uh, I think the psychology element is just, you know, where it, where it comes down to it. And, you know, you'd argue there's never any greater pressure on him um, than now. And it's just been really interesting to see that come through at a time where they've got such a young manager in Scaloni. He's obviously made these tweaks and you just see how all the ways around him. And he spoke after the final, actually, and sort of said about... Quite openly, quite candidly, how he's sort of adapted and moulded this team around Messi um, and the changes that he's made. And he's actually openly said that there's a spot for him in the next World Cup if he wants it, um, which I think is just, is just great. Um, I think it would be sensible if he retires now, but I can see why um, he'd want to go again in sort of four years' time.
2: Uh, and Michael Messi very much ended the search for the Nuevo Maradona, which was a bit of an obsession in, in Argentinian football for some time. Great to see one of the former build Nuevo Maradona's uh, Pablo Aymar on the bench, assistant to Lionel Scaloni getting a a, a really well deserved World Cup winners' medal. I think I think we're all fans of European football from the from the two thousands. Delighted to see that.
1: Yeah, funnily enough I I could have included him on my list of players who Di Maria has done the running for because they played together in a very attractive Benfica side in twenty ten, I think, when Aymar was kind of in his I guess the current Messi stage you couldn't really run back much and Di Maria was hearing all over the place yeah he was he was a wonderful player and maybe more actually more similar to Maradona in style than Messi who I think is, is a slightly different type of footballer but he was great Walter Samuel as well brilliant centre back in his day Scaloni you know of course remember him from the 2006 World Cup no not, not one of the greats of Argentine football but yeah they have got a lot of uh, ex-players in that backroom staff thought it was
3: great as well to see Sergio Aguero lifting the trophy Um, it felt very much like a nice sort of I know he's he's very close with with Messi of course uh, it was just just nice right it it was just good it was wholesome Uh, the the heart was fulfilled I think after um, lots of very good football yeah just to see them all you saw what it meant didn't you Mm,
2: saw what it meant certainly did well it's their first World Cup win since 1986 uh, and so these Argentina players outside of Messi will be etched into history just as those 1986 players were Michael which other Argentine players will you remember as, as having been crucial to this World Cup win outside of Lyon? I guess Di Maria in the final.
1: Martinez has, has certainly played his part. Uh, I thought Enzo Fernandez coming into the side was was a big boost for them. I mean, he was the third uh, holding midfielder they'd tried and yet he was the one who nailed down the place. But I, I think it's been a bit of a team effort. Obviously a team effort with one player with everything's based around, but I'm not sure i put too many Argentina players in the kind of team of the tournament frame really I think everyone just did their job and that that's what it's about when you're kind of losing one player without the ball I mean Messi doesn't really contribute anything when the opposition had possession everyone's got to
4: really muck in and
1: they did that and um, it all came together
4: I think with Enzo Fernandez as well as you say Michael it's not just because he won the, the young player of the tournament as well that I think he was just so so great he came in from the third game onwards and was just brilliant from then on in he, he obviously got the goal after coming on against Mexico I think in the second game But I think it was maybe the Australia game where I just watched him for about five minutes and he was just always offering himself for the ball. He was just completely dictating the tempo. If it was just a simple wall pass, a little pass around the corner or just a little tackle recycling possession. And and at just 21, I think you've got to add in the fact that he is just 21, just playing with such maturity for what is obviously now the the world champions. And in the final, I saw some statistics on, on this as well. He led all players for touches. So he had 118 touches, 77 uh, successful passes and 10 tackles um, which was the most of any player in a World Cup final since Gennaro Gattuso in 2006 which I thought was just an interesting fun fact but I think yeah the fact that he is just 21 and the maturity that he played in uh, to come into the side and uh, and do so well in the middle was uh, was hugely impressive for me so Fernandez um, would be my, my additional player of uh, the Argentine squad.
3: Thoroughly enjoyed watching Alexis McAllister this tournament. Um, it's quite interesting. He was an Olympian uh, last summer playing for the 23s. Uh, obviously, my Brighton bias is very proudly showing through there. Um, but again, I thought, you know, a player to come into the side and um, be really good sort of midfielder running beyond the ball. Um, I think he made a lot of ticks sort of in, in this final. and um, Was good defensively, but obviously really good. And the assist that he made, I think, was, was great composure as well. So I'll give Dean Maria praise for the goal, but um, had a nice celebration when he when he set that one up.
2: First World Cup winning Seagull?
3: First World Cup, uh, Seagull to play in, in a final, uh, and then first one with a with a trophy. So I'm not sure how much we can purely claim <laughs> that. But if this is the West Ham won it in '66, <laughs> is this uh, Brighton winning it in uh, 2022?
2: Well, there's another Brighton player that's that's been mentioned a lot on social media. The the Neil Mopai meme. I don't know if you will have seen this, but the suggestion that that Neil Mopai injuring who is it Leno is like the the first flap of the butterfly's wings. That ends with Emmy Martinez making incredible saves in extra time, making more saves in the penalty shootout and winning Messi's first World Cup in Argentina since 1986. All, all fun and games, that. I, I want to mention uh, Rodrigo de Paul, just so we can sort of tie off Argentina's midfield three. Incredible work rate from all three of them, I think we can we can agree. But de Paul, and particularly in this final, you know he, he had to cover a lot of space on that right-hand side and he did so with great gusto. He is... An incredible shit house. I don't have a good enough memory of him pre Atletico Madrid uh, to know as to how much credit we can give Simeone for injecting some Simeone into him. But it it, d- it does turn him into, I think, a pretty perfect player for knockout football. <laughs> um, and and of course, Emmy Martinez as well for for that extra time save. Uh, Kylian Mbappe. Let's reflect on on his tournament. The, the first. Hat trick in a World Cup final since 1966. Uh, more World Cup final goals now of anyone in history. He's got 12 goals in, in World Cups in total. Only five people have scored more in history, uh, and he's 23. Uh, Admiral Slav Klose is just four goals away. Uh, Michael, it was uh, it was a pretty remarkable tournament from Mbappe.
1: Yeah, I mean he scored lots of goals. I think the interesting thing is that a lot of them were slightly scruffy goals or penalties. You know. Not necessarily glorious strikes, although there was one in the final. I do still think there's a question about his positioning in the future. Obviously, he moved up front at points in this competition. And, you know, Deschamps was intending to play kind of 3-4-1-2 with him up front with Benzema. That's probably where he sees his optimum position. And at times, I do wonder why he does so little without the ball. Opta came up with a great stat that he'd done... Fewer defensive contributions than any other player in the tournament per 90 minutes. And i kind of asking why. You know, obviously there's a risk and reward thing with his positioning. And to a certain extent, he wants to save his burst for attacking. But I think Messi gets that role because Messi just doesn't have the physical capacity to do it anymore. Whereas Mbappe should be able to contribute a little bit in theory. So anyway, that's not intended as a complete criticism. But my point is, when that is his game, I think we might end up seeing him further forward, more centrally on a permanent basis in,
4: in the years to come. I mean, while we're hammering Kylian Mbappe, I did think that the the first half um, of the final obviously was awful for him for the reasons that we've, we've spoken about. But just 11 touches in that first half was the lowest of, of any player. But as his representative of France, it was just turning things around in, in complete moments. And that is why you have Kylian Mbappe in the side as well. And I guess yeah, more statistics to add. He's the youngest player to to reach 10 goals in World Cup history. Um, 23 years and 363 days. So he's very close to turning 24. And it was yeah, it was hard to see him so you know gutted when when he's picking up the the golden boot. But you just very very confident that he'll he'll add to that tally in future World Cups as well. And I think more generally across the whole tournament, it's great to see Messi and Mbappe on fire in the final I, I the guys alluded to it before but it's just to see the, the narrative everything that we wanted to see as a neutral did happen um, and even if Mbappe there had to be a loser so even if uh, Mbappe didn't you know win it to see him score a hat-trick and to cap off a brilliant tournament was just kind of good to see as a neutral so yeah absolute credit where credit's due
3: I think one of the best things with Mbappe is how late in the game he has a say as well. I think all bar one of his goal involvements in this tournament, so his goals and assists have been after the 60th minute. They're not always as game deciding as they were obviously in the final. There were times where maybe he wraps up games or just extends a lead and, and puts sort of France um, out of reach. But just the fact that I think teams, a lot of teams have set up to defend against him in a sort of quite a distinct way. I think it's great having a player that you can stop for maybe 60, 70 minutes but is always going to get a moment or has always got that sort of moment of quality that... You just can't legislate for sometimes I don't think you know as uncontrolled at times as Argentina were sort of in the second half that that second goal is still really a world-class finish maybe Martinez should should do a bit better but the sheer power and how low he hits that shot not a player that had many chances in the game we said about how he wasn't hugely active in the first half and you know just on the periphery And, and Mauricio Pochettino wrote about that in his column for The Athletic saying that in sort of comparison to Harry Kane he doesn't need to touch the ball all the time doesn't need to be involved can sort of just stand there and it's not the clearest chance to score. Um, there's obviously a lot of pressure and then just to deliver a finish like that, I think, is um, it, it's just great as part of the spectacle.
2: Well, I think... We've touched on everything uh, and it's been such a treat. So many stories to savour after this World Cup final, after the World Cup in general, um, so much analysis as well and of course The Athletic has you covered so if you're not a subscriber of The Athletic you can join today for just £2 or $2 a month for the first 12 months if you sign up at theathletic.com forward slash tactics the Premier League returns in a week of course The Athletic has you covered for the best coverage of the best league in the world as well. Uh, Thank you so much to Michael, to Liam, to Ahmed uh, to Mark as well specifically for his hosting in the early episodes of our, of our World Cup offering and for his excellent additions as a pundit as well it's been such a, a privilege such a pleasure to chat through it uh, in the last few weeks uh, an amazing tournament on the pitch and uh, yeah a great thanks to our producers uh, Adonis uh, and Dave as well for, for their help putting it all together uh, but a big thank you to you guys for listening uh, for being with us throughout this tournament for your support as always for the supportive comments that you leave on, on Twitter and on the app as well um, we see them uh, we really appreciate them so thank you very very much um, we are back to normal service uh, in a couple of weeks time so we'd love to hear from you uh, what would you like us to talk about we have a very wide remit we have a long leash uh, and we're looking forward to providing you with some hopefully some of the best coverage that you can find over the next six months uh, for the rest of the season so make sure you're subscribed And join us next time on the Athletic Football Tactics Podcast.